the Staff and Graph podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. Inlinks are salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. Welcome to a very special edition of the Staff and Graph podcast. I'm Rachel, as always, and today, instead of Mike, I am joined by a former NHL official and one of the best there's been, 1,500 games, 83 playoff games, Sochi Olympics in Russia, Dave Jackson, now with ESPN. Dave, how are you? Thanks for joining me. I'm great, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Always always a pleasure. Yeah, no, it's... I. I find officiating is always, it's always something that gets talked about a ton, whether it's good, mainly bad. But I feel like when ESPN brings somebody like you on, you have so much experience. They do this in the NFL and they allow the former refs to explain calls. What's that been like as a guy who has a rapport with guys who are still officiating, but now you're kind of explaining their calls? Well, you're right. It's it's a very, uh, I think officiating in any sport, whether it's minor hockey or professional sports, it's very polarizing, it, uh, you know, and it's very result oriented. So um, when your team's winning, the refereeing seems to be fine. And when your team's losing, it's uh, the refs are out to get us. So uh, having said that, it's, it's um, I walk a fine line. People, people uh, sometimes call me the, uh, the refereeing expert or whatever. And I'm not a refereeing expert. I mean, there's, there were far better referees than I, and there's far better referees now than I ever was. Um, I'm a rules analyst and I try and explain the rule. It's not, it's not for me to say, so you talk about my, my peers, the guys I worked with, some guys I still have relationships with. If it's a blatant mistake, I have to admit that they made a mistake. And all I try and do is humanize it and try and explain maybe why they missed it what their thought process would have been, where their posi- point at where their positioning was. But bottom line is I try and explain the rule, what the criteria of the rule is, what the situation room is looking for, uh, when they're looking at that review, uh, what, what the conversation might be going on between the on-ice officials and the situation room at the time. And then I, sometimes I give an opinion on what the result might be, and then I let the fan decide if it was the right call or not. Uh, that's fair. I think – explaining the rules is is honestly probably the most important part like I remember when I was younger kind of getting into football I've always been into hockey like I didn't need anyone to explain the rules to me but in football having the the former ref on there I learned so many of the rules I learned what I'm looking for and I feel like when you're on ESPN because you do such a good job of explaining the rules people actually get to learn and it's like okay that's two that's five that's goalie interference that's not like there's different situations. And I guess that kind of brings me to one of the biggest things I think is an issue in hockey right now, whether it's in the NHL or in minor hockey, and that's boarding. Um, there's been a couple instances uh, recently, Eric Robinson, Evander Kane, and <laughs> Eric Goodbranson is probably the big one, but general safety in the game, when you have to decide between a two and a five on any call, I mean, we could talk about boarding too, but any call, what is the difference? Is it the actual injury? Is it intent? Like, how do you kind of, what goes into deciding that? Well, I mean, 
I look back at my career and, you know, there's calls I made and you still remember them. I mean, you, you know, as a referee, you can't go back and think about that overtime goal you scored or that time you, you know, you led your team to the playoffs. You just, you think about calls you made and you really don't go around and, and pat yourself on the back and say, well, I remember that great call I made here or that great call I made there. What you're kind of left with is milestone games and calls you missed. And <laughs> and that, that's the reality of it, right? And so yeah. um, boarding and checking from behind is just, it's a really tough, tough rule. Um, there's so much gray area. I mean, unlike minor hockey where any check from behind is, is, is a penalty, where you, I believe it's two and 10 for a check from behind. Players yeah. all have little mini stop signs in the back of their sweaters and all that. And the onus is completely on the player to not deliver the hit. It makes it kind of easy. Um, you go to college hockey, the NCAA hockey, onus is on the player making the hit. Even if the player turns, like if the player turns to avoid getting hit, you're still calling a penalty, but you're not throwing him out of the game because they're saying, right. well, it wasn't really his fault, but they're still penalizing for the hit. I'm not so sure that that's entirely fair, especially in pro hockey. Mm-hmm. So you look at pro hockey, you've got checking from behind. Checking from behind, people don't understand, there's no two-minute minor for checking from behind. No. So, for example, the reason for that is, you know, if a guy's in a neutral zone and he turns around uh, to get a pass back from his own end and the defenseman just, like, sort of steps up on him without trying to punish him, but just steps up and sort of stands in his way with a legal body check, hits him between the shoulder blades, that's not a penalty. No, there's, there, that's a hit. That's a great but, hit. But people lose their mind because the guy's head snaps and everything and all that. But like he didn't cross check him. He didn't charge him. He didn't elbow him. It's just he happened to hit him. The contact was from behind. So that's why there's no minor penalty for, for checking from behind. Uh, you've got to go five in game for checking from behind. Right. And that is, I won't say it's never called along the boards, but it's primarily for a, an open ice hit from behind where you steamroll the guy. Okay. And, that makes sense. You know, and that's that's where they brought in a rule saying, "Listen, the guy's back was turned. You shouldn't have you shouldn't have run him over like that." Mm-hmm. When it's near the boards, the default usually is boarding, and boarding right. affords you a, a much wider latitude. You can call two minutes for boarding. You can call five minutes standalone for boarding if there's no injury to the face or head, or you right. can go five in game, or you can go five in game. So it gives you a lot a lot more. Um, leeway as, as, as a referee to judge the violence, the severity of the hit. So a regular boarding would be when you see the guy get projected into the boards. And that's right. usually when he's three, four feet away. He's defenseless usually, doesn't know the hit's coming, and he gets projected into the boards. And where you say the, the player making the hit could have stopped. He didn't have right. to do it. But if the player pops right back up, now I'm not saying that's the way maybe it should be, but that's kind of the way it is. The player pops right back up. There's, I mean, no harm, no foul. You're still getting a penalty for boarding the guy. Right. It's at least a two. Right. If the player stays down, then the referees, they're, they're never quick to make their decision. They come in and they kind of analyze, like, is the player sh- uh, just shaken up? Uh, is there a visible injury? Is he cut? Or, or, or is he out of it? Is he concussed? Is he? And if that's the case, you're probably going to see five in game. Mm-hmm. Um, cases where there's a big hit along the boards and there's no visible injury, but you say to yourself, that just wasn't very sporting. Like that, he really yeah. finished, really finished him hard, but there's no injury. You're able to go five. It's just a standalone five minute major. So what, um, what, what penalties are automatic five in a game and what penalties other than fighting are just five, right? Cause you can so, get a five minute major for fighting. 
but I think a lot of people think, and this is, it's an interesting kind of difference, right? There's, if you can hand out a five minute, but that player can still come back in the game, that's entirely different from five in a game. So kind of what penalties exist where you can just call five and that so player is still eligible you're to play. putting me on the spot right now. I've got my rule book in my hand. <laughs> oh, I wow. I know it's boarding and charging, but there's a third one. And I think it might be elbowing. Um, but I tell you right I, now. I, I was going to say, I thought it was elbowing or kneeing. It, it's it's not kneeing. Um, because a kneeing is, you know, you're not, you're not calling five unless you see an injury. Or, or you're calling a match, or you're calling a match penalty to where you say, you know, um, that's an that attempt, to, attempt injure. to injure. Definitely attempt to injure, and I got the yeah, boarding, charging, and elbowing. Boarding, boarding charging, charging, and elbowing. Up. Boarding, charging, and elbowing. You can call a standalone five if there's no injury to the face or head. So ah, okay. If there's a, if there, if there, if you've decided that it's a penalty and it's mm-hmm. boarding, charging. Or elbowing. If you just you decided it's a penalty, and then you look, and the player's injured, he doesn't have to right. be bleeding, but he's injured. And maybe his nose is sideways, uh, missing some teeth, or he's just got a huge yeah. welt. Then you really don't have much choice. It's five in game. Right. So I mean, if you want to look at those those three hits, the first one on Kane. Now the whole the whole part of that rule when you read the boarding thing projects him violently into the boards. He didn't really project him into the boards. He the, the player was almost against the boards when he hit him. Right. To me, that actually looked more like a hit from behind than right. and which a we boarding don't have, penalty. Which we don't have a minor penalty for hitting from behind. Right. And without a visible injury, you're not calling five in game for, for, for that play. So he did seem to be shaken up, but he didn't go down. He didn't grab his head. It just looked like right. a big, hard hit. Now, had they called two minutes for boarding on that play, I could have lived with that. But the referees aren't doctors out there. And when you don't see no. – it didn't, it didn't seem to be a malicious, violent attempt to hurt him. And he didn't project him violently into the boards. He was already at the boards. It was a big, hard hit. Came from behind. Right. I could have lived with two, but, but that's not – people are making it to seem like it was, you know, the crime of the century. As a referee and the guys on the ice saw it the same way, I, I don't see it that way. So then how does the Kane hit differ from the Cousins Good Branson hit? Because I feel like everyone well, saw one. that I, hit. Yeah, let's go. Oh to yeah, the, the Robinson hit. First. So that's a case where that the player turns. is he's he's five feet away from the boards. He gets hit and he gets projected violently into the boards, face first. And he's, he's injured. Yeah. And he's down. So I mean that's textbook. So it's that that was absolutely absolutely the right call in that in that situation right there. And then you go next to to Gabranson. <sighs> really hard hit. He goes down. He appears to be injured, but then he yep. pops back up. Pops back up and tries to fight him. I feel like I'll, he. I'll be honest. You look at that. <laughs> I, I liked I liked the five minute major they called. Me and too. Personally, on the ice, I don't think I would have rescinded it to two. But that's from the luxury of sitting here watching it over and over and over with no pressure on me if I get it wrong. So right. um, that that might have been a case, though, where they could have gone five and kept him in the game. A standalone five because it turned out there was no visible injury, but it was a hard hit worthy, in my opinion, more than two. So maybe a standalone five would have been good. But you know what? What people don't understand is the game is so fast and so hard that um, – there's a lot of factors, a lot of factors going into your mind. And as a referee, calling a five in game is not, 
it's not just like, oh, there you go, five in game. I mean, it's a heavy penalty you're giving a team, and you want to make sure you're right on that call. So there's a lot yeah, of factors so- in there. Like there's, you know, he shoulder checked. He should have known the guy was coming. Um, I don't think um, Cousins. It was kind of a hockey play gone bad. It was reckless. It yes, was very, reckless it was very is a reckless. good word. I don't think it was malicious to where he goes. I'm going to run this guy into the first row of seats and try and hurt him. You know, I right. think I think he thought uh, Gabranson was going to keep going left, except he kind of reversed a bit, and he lost his balance, hit him hard. Um, so the referee's going to take all this into account when they're looking at the video. And I'm not in their head, so I'm sure they had a reason at the time for for sending it to two. And like that's the beauty of hockey is that you know it's it's not tennis, it's not in or out. Right. Ball, you know, the ball's not in or out. There's a lot of judgment, a lot of human factor that goes into the game. And it, unless you've done it, it's, I mean, you've refereed yourself. It's, yeah, it's, it's hard and it's stressful. So th- I guess that kind of leads into like the next thing I want to ask you about is so with the good Branson cousin situation, we had a scenario where I think you and I agreed that's not a two minute penalty. It's probably five. And just based on a number of factors, but when you're an official, game management is a huge thing. Like, you need to make sure the game doesn't get out of hand. And that's that's something where when a game gets out of hand, the risk for injury increases significantly for a number of reasons. Sure. So when you're looking at, one, Eric Goodbranson's the guy that's involved. He's already wanting to pummel this guy. Do you look at it and you go, I, the official, know that if I keep this guy in the game, I might be inviting absolute chaos and we might be putting more players in danger here whereas if i give them five in it even if even five not even five in a game if i give them five it's a major penalty it sends a message that's not allowed at what point as an official when you're calling a game especially at the nhl level where i mean temperatures rise pretty quickly when certain players are involved. I think of Jake McCabe, Eric Goodbranson, Jacob Truba is another one, a Vander Kane pretty easily riled up. When you're managing the game, when you, that's a penalty, that's not a penalty. Do you factor those things in thinking that if I don't call this, this might delve into chaos or, hey, I've got to pull somebody from the pile here to kind of send a message that we're not having that the rest of the game. Sure. Um, game management takes is there's such a different connotation between what the fan thinks is negative game management and what officials, even at young levels, are taught game management. Game management in its purest form is not a bad thing. Game management's not nefarious. It's not fans seem to think game management means yeah. okay, like I've called two penalties on Toronto, so now I've got to call two penalties on Buffalo to, to make yeah, that's things not game even management. and manage the game. <laughs> that's not game management. No referee's doing that. No referee goes out to do a game and cares who wins. At least not in the NHL. No. I've never worked with a guy that said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure this team wins or this team loses, or I wanna call more penalties. It just doesn't happen. You're too concerned yeah. for your own job, for your own livelihood, that you wanna get it perfect. You wanna do the best job you can. So when I look at game management, for me, that means if there's a lot of scrums early in the game, I don't want those to go on all night. So I'm gonna manage yeah. that situation. I'm gonna warn the benches that, hey, we've had two scrums now, the last two whistles. The next scrum, I'm taking one guy. I'm not right. going to even it out. So if if you, Rachel, if you shove someone in the face and he punches you back harder, I'm not calling both of you. I'm just going to call you, even though you got punched back in the face. Right. Because you started it. Yeah. And hopefully that sends a message 
I'm trying to manage this game. I'm sending a message saying I'm not going to tolerate that kind of behavior. Same right. as when you see late in the game, you'll see games that are six to one and there's oh. four, four minutes to go in the game and two guys are going after each other. Linesmen have to get in. They're trying to break away from the linesmen. They've only done, they've only deserved two minutes maybe for roughing, but they score six one and they're going to come back out of the penalty box with 30 seconds to go in the game and they're still going to be at each other. <laughs> so that's, that's where misconducts come in sometimes late in the game because referees are tired of babysitting. And right. And, but when it comes to, for example, uh, we had at Ottawa where they called misconducts on everybody on the ice. That was amazing. And, and some people said, well, that's a bit of an overreaction. He overcalled that there. But how much time was left in the game? There was like seven minutes to go in the game. They all were going to get like four minutes and they couldn't have come out until the next whistle. So they might have been in there five or six minutes. Probably. Why, why have four mad players come out of the penalty box with 30 seconds to go in a, in a 5-1 hockey game? That's a bad idea. That's that's right. asking for somebody to get hurt. Exactly. Now, if that happens in the first period, I can guarantee you there's no way he's giving everybody 10-minute misconducts because no. you're impacting the game at that point. And, and it's not fair to impact the game. You, you can't just take players out of the game that the team needs. So so when you talk about giving the guy – like game management uh, is is doing what's right for the game and – Calling, but when it comes to calling a five-minute major or a game misconduct, I don't really think guys – I'm sure in the back of their mind, when they kept them in the game, they're probably saying to themselves, look out, there might be ret- retribution here. But the choice to keep them in the game or get them out of the game, they're just trying to get that call right. That That's really all they right. want to do because if they get it wrong, people are always saying referees are not accountable. They're, they're extremely accountable. They, you know, There's a discussion after – I'm not just talking that – that one call. I'm talking any right. call that's controversial. You're having discussions with hockey ops, uh, player safety, the director of officiating. Uh, there might be a, a supervisor at your game who comes down and debriefs right. after the game. You're accountable. You have to explain your call. And if you have to explain too many calls and they're always kind of wrong, that's <laughs> that's not good for your, your performance. That's not good for your playoff assignments. So trust me, no. referees, are, they're accountable to what they do on the ice. Do you think it would be beneficial? I'm not saying we should have a press conference. I think that's a genuinely terrible idea. Do you think so in, in soccer, for example, um, one, the way they do it, I think is wild, but if they don't like, uh, like if, if an official is particularly bad and it impacts the outcome of a game, they'll like demote the official to like the lower league and he'll have to come back up. But do you think there's some merit to, there's a pool reporter and that reporter gets two or three questions to the official after the game. There's none of this back and forth nonsense. You get, you send your questions to the official, they answer them. And then those become public kind of like the NBA does like the last two minute report where they say, okay, like these were the errors that were made. Is there a benefit? Because I feel like it might humanize officials a little bit if they were given the opportunity to explain like, the official, I can't remember his name in the Florida Columbus game, but I would love to hear from him as to why he thought he knocked that down from a five to a two. Sure. Do you think there's merit in, in having officials like giving them the opportunity to explain that? I never did, but I think the more, the more and more social media has an impact and the more and more the fans are just clamoring for information. Uh, there is some merit. And, and going back to what you said about referees being demoted, um, that, that that's just a terrible, um, it's wild, it's a terrible model because to go I, fans want uh, referees to be fined, 
They make a bad call. That's ridiculous. They, they think you should be fined. So my answer to them is, do you think the referee made that call intentionally on purpose? And, and their answer is always no. No, but, he, but nonetheless, he made a bad call. And I said, okay, cool. So we've established it's not on purpose. So when your goaler lets in a soft goal or when your D-man fires up a pizza in his own slot and they score on it, should we find the player for a bad call? Of course not. Exactly. Because it's a mistake, right? Players, uh, referees do get fined in a way if their performance is not up to par, they don't work playoffs. And playoffs are all bonus money. Mm-hmm. You get you get a large chunk of cash. Now, players, they play for the Stanley Cup and they make a lot of money during the season. Playoff money for them is not really that they big don't get a deal. playoff. Yeah, you don't get paid they're, in the playoffs. They're, they're not. I mean, I, I, I know they do get a playoff part of the playoff bonus, but that's compared to their salary. Whereas right. referees can make a large chunk of money in playoffs. And that's that's what they shoot for. They you know, they get to work the finals, the pride of work in the finals, but they don't get a Stanley Cup to walk around with all summer. I mean, so if you don't get playoffs, it's hitting you in the pocketbook. So that that's where referees get fined. Okay, um, so speaking of the playoffs then, like yeah. we all know, and I think I heard you say, I want to say maybe last year, I heard you talking about kind of the calls in the playoffs and like I've worked for teams that have played in the playoffs and I, I've seen it with my own eyes and I've had the opportunity to speak to a couple of officials. And um, when you're calling the regular season, obviously playoff games, you got to win four of seven, right? So the stakes are a lot higher. Why does it feel like you get away with so much? And I'll give you an example. Drew Doughty, um, at one point, I want to say it was the last kind of time the Kings were in the playoffs before their rebuild. I counted 13 cross checks at the net front within 10 seconds. And I look at that and I go, in the regular season, he's probably getting a cross checking penalty because you heard the official on the broadcast, like it was loud enough. He goes, hey, that's enough. And he kept going. Why is there a hesitation, it seems, in the playoffs to call? I guess, things that would be called in the regular season. Because it does seem like there's, I guess, more that gets let go in the playoffs from a from an obstruction standpoint. Sure. Um, you're definitely right about perception. And, and, I, and I'm not going to sit here and you know gaslight you and say the game <laughs> doesn't appear to be different in the playoffs than, than it is in, in regular season. Crosscheck specifically, though, the league realized that we had a too loose a standard on cross-checking right that came to a that came to a you know um a tipping point i think about three years ago and we had a couple of players injured in the playoffs from cross-checks that went uncalled um two years ago there was a there was a, a push it was we didn't change the rule it was just uh increased uh emphasis on calling cross-checks and you remember they came out preseason, and we had four or five cross-checks called every game right and then it backed off, but the referees didn't so much back off. Is the referees realized that okay, in preseason, maybe I was overcalling. Not right. every push and shove was a cross check, but I just didn't want to be the one to let the standard down, so I called it. And the referees became more comfortable with the standard, but realized mm-hmm. they had to maintain it. And coaches and players got tired of killing penalties, and and told their players to to stop cross checking people. You hey, know, put, there's not yet. Put palm on the guy, do something else, but you can't do that little cross-check motion in the back 
And we kind of got rid of it. You don't see it in today's game anywhere close to what it was back in 13, 14, whatever, when the Kings lost Agreed. So going, going back to uh, playoff hockey, the numbers actually, and, and people don't agree with me because they say, well, there's overtime, so it's a skewed um, a skewed factor. But there's not a ton of overtime in playoffs that go for two or yeah. three periods. You know, um, there's more usually one. Won. There's more minors per game. Now, per game. It's not per 60 minutes, so you do have overtime. But there's more minors per game being called, especially in the first round, than there is in regular season. Yeah, and, so that's a, like an interesting kind of thing because – so talking to a few players, one of them, I'm not even sure why somebody would blatantly admit this, but one of them said, we do like the playoffs are objectively, they're harder to play in. Like that is harder hockey to play in. Absolutely. And they say we harder do things because, well. yeah, like we do more because we know that they're not going to call all of it. So we do as much as we can, hoping that we only kind of get quote unquote caught once or twice. So I feel like playoff hockey seems more violent and obstructive because the players know that the officials rightfully do not want to impact the game. So I feel like they, it's almost like, you know, when you're a little kid and it's like, I'm going to take a cookie from the cookie jar and I'll, Oh, you know what? I'm going to take another one and I'm going to take another one. I feel like players maybe do that in the playoffs is there something that can be done to mitigate that? Can the standard be tightened the first couple games where the refs can say, I'm calling everything until you guys settle down? Like, is yeah. there something we can do there? Well, I think there's something we have done there. And your narrative, I think, in the last couple of years just hasn't been there. And people just – it's sort of like if you talk to somebody who doesn't follow hockey a lot and they right. go, oh, I don't watch hockey. There's too much fighting. There's not and, that much fighting. <laughs> and there's hardly any fighting in hockey now. But they're just – their perception was, you know, the Broad Street bullies and, and you know, I went to a fight and a hockey game broke out and all that. That doesn't happen anymore. No. So I'll, I'll admit, playoffs going back a few years, it tended to be a looser standard. In the last few years, and especially since I've been doing ESPN, so I mean, I'm watching every game. I'm watching every Yeah, I, I feel realize, like last year's were pretty good. I realize now that the instruction to the referees is you know what the standard is. And if it crosses that line, call the penalty. And Gary Bettman gets on there. The referees have a conference call before the playoffs start. And the Ooh, message is, the message to the referees is, we spend a lot of money training you guys. We have training camp. We send you videos. You do rule tests weekly. We send you videos weekly. We send you calls at a week weekly showing you what is and what isn't a penalty. You guys know what the standard is. If, an, if something happens that crosses that barrier, crosses that line, you make the call, whether it's in the first minute or whether it's overtime, and we will support you. We want you right. to call the standard. And, and that's where – People, uh, you know, they, they come at me and say, oh, the league doesn't want this. League Not that. It's completely untrue. The league wants the referees to call the standard. Now, it's easier said than done. The game yes. is moving, game's moving 150 miles an hour. Everyone, tears on, everyone tears on fire. And yeah. it's, it's unlike any regular season game you've ever, ever been a part of. And I never realized that until I did my first game. Right. I did standby for seven years, never hitting the ice during playoffs. Right on the other side of the glass, standing by Zamboni, and I go, ah, this is pretty fast, faster than regular season, but I had no idea how fast it was until I did my first game. And my head was spinning around, and I was going, this is, 
This is unreal. Is and this is why guys can't – people want this kind of hockey all year round. You can't play this kind of hockey all year round because it's – No way. The, the players would – you know, they would burn out. They just can't so, do it. You talk about the game being fast, and I think obviously taking out the red line, like the two-line pass, was something that made the game a lot faster. But then you have guys coming to the league like Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon who are skating faster than we have ever seen before. I've seen it kind of talked about, but I've never heard anyone actually with experience at a high level say anything with any level of like insight. Is there... A benefit or would there be a benefit to having one of the officials off the ice and could communicate like they do it in soccer where like the the refs are plugged in to another ref in the video room or somebody up like an eye in the sky would that help officials because i feel like one like you said the game is so much faster the guys are so much bigger there it almost feels like at different points, the refs are the ones in danger here because they're not really wearing the same level of equipment yeah. and they're in the line of fire. They're on the ice all 60 minutes. Is there, would there be a benefit potentially? Could we see it tested in the preseason of having an official who could augment the crew on the ice? Well, you know, you've got a lot, there's, there's a lot of factors in there. Um, I don't think the ice is too crowded. I think, uh, space-wise, I think putting a second referee on the ice created more space because okay. you've always had a guy on the goal line. You've always had a referee on the goal line. Yeah. The other referee's in the neutral zone. He's seldom in the way. He, he's, he's out of there. Yeah. But, but what that referee in the neutral zone allows the guy on the goal line to do is back in the day with one referee, you could never turn your back on the play. No. So you had to fight, fight for angles in the end zone, sometimes getting run over and being in the way because you were trying so hard to keep everything in front of you. Now guys can scramble and do what they want to get out of the way, knowing their partner has their back. Right, so that makes it, a lot of sense. I think it enables the guy who's deep, gives him more leeway, more luxury to go to spots he wouldn't have gone in the past because he was afraid of disconnecting from the play. And that in turn caused him to get run over. He was in the way more often in the end zone than in the one referee system than they are in the two referee system. So having said that, I don't think a second referee has made the ace more crowded. Going to the eye in the sky, where do you draw the line? So, so a, right. you, a, you got to increase the staff. We've got 35 referees, 35 linesmen. You've got to hire at least, well, any given night, there could be 16 games. So you got to hire 16 more full-time referees. Hey, more refs. <laughs> more, I'm all for it. I know the guys, you know, toiling in the minors are all for it, but is the league prepared to pay for 16 more referees right. um, to be in the press box? Second, right now we have video review for pretty much any kind of goal, uh, whether right. it, whether it's, you know, kicked in, high sticked in, whether it's a missed stoppage, whether the puck went out of play, whether it was a hand pass, whether it was a high stick, whether it was goalie interference. Uh, we have re- a replay for offside. We have replay for a major penalty. We have replay for double minors high sticking. How much more do you want to extend this? So, for example, if the referee on the ice calls a really soft hooking penalty, and right. the eye in the sky says, hey, I don't think that was a hook. What makes his judgment better than the guy on the ice? Oh, yeah. I, I, I think more I'm coming. Yeah. Says, it's a hook. And the guy on the ice goes, I mean, the guy in the press box says it's not a hook. The guy on the ice goes, well, I was right beside it. And I saw it like I thought I should see it. And it is a hook. So who has the yeah. 
the power. So I'm not really sure how much more an eye in the sky would help. Now, is there going to be an outlier? Is there going to be one call a month where you call a trip and actually the guy toe picked and, and fell and the guy in the sky could say, hey, stick didn't touch him. It's not a trip. Sure. But how many times right. does that really happen? To, to hire 16 new referees, how yeah. many times does that happen during a season? Where I wonder really maybe change. Yeah. Like I wonder maybe if I'm thinking of it more of like away from the play kind of stuff. Because like you say, the referee in the end zone, like your main job is like, did the puck go in the net? Yeah. Like that is you're supposed to be watching that and you're by extension watching the net front. And a lot of crap happens at the net front. You and I both know. Like that's where especially the... in a scramble. Especially in a scramble. Oh my. Like Gosh, so that's that's where crazy. fans don't realize why stuff gets missed there because the referee's trying so hard to find the puck to make sure it's a legit goal that that he can't see everything else, you know, the cross checks, the punches going on or whatever. And the guy in the neutral zone, he's trying his best, but he's sixty-five right. feet away where everyone's back to him. So So is is there maybe something like maybe that eye in the sky is like you're not calling hooking and tripping. Like your sure. job is net front scrums because that's where our officials, like the guy in the end zone, his job is to find the puck to make sure he doesn't have a quick whistle, doesn't blow it dead. The guy in the neutral zone is doing his best, but he's got to be in the correct position. So maybe it's like, it's an eye in the sky somewhat to say like, yeah. uh, you were watching the play, which is what you're supposed to be doing. And this guy dished out eight cross checks, so he's getting two minutes kind of thing. Like, I just, well, I wonder what? if there's a way, I come at it from a, it's not that the officials aren't doing a good job. How right. can we help them? Because their job is easily the most difficult in a hockey game. It sure is. Now, I like where you're going with that. But what makes a missed two-minute cross check worse than a missed two-minute hook? This is, yeah, that's the other thing. So I propose, and who knows, in, in, in college hockey, for example, okay, if you get a scrum like that and there is a, something egregious missed, like a cross check, like uh, a punch in the face, a sucker punch, something. Right. The coach can challenge. Oh, I don't mind that. The coach can challenge. He can call the referees over and say, I think you guys missed a major penalty. Right. And they go and they review it. And if the coach is right, the penalty is assessed. If the coach is wrong, they get a bench minor. Well, they lose their timeout. They lose their timeout for the yeah. first one. And then after that, it would be a, it would be a bench minor for delay a game. But right. we could do that without the loss of timeout. You just go right to a penalty if you're wrong. So you're not going to have yeah, I don't mind challenge. that. You're not going to think... have frivolous challenges. But no. that would that would sort of you don't need an extra guy maybe looking to see if something was missed. If the team feels something was missed egregious, let them challenge it. And if they're wrong, they get a penalty. I mean, that, right. and that's just I an mean, idea. I, think, I mean, I'm throwing ideas out yeah. there. I like, you know what? I actually, I really like that idea because that gives, that puts the judgment in the hands of, well, the officials in the situation room, whatever the case may be. But you're still, it's it's not the guy, it's not the eye in the sky. It's, I was doing my job and making sure that the puck was where it needed to be X, Y, Z. But now I'm going to go and evaluate this because you've asked me to. And I, I think that would almost be a deterrent to players because they know I might not be able to get away with some of the things that I did before because I know it could potentially, I guess, be looked at. And and so let's it would have to be I it guess, has to be egregious, you know what I mean? So they're not yeah. they're not calling, they're not 
challenging for, uh, you know, maybe a punch inside of the head or something, because it probably, they're going to look, referees are going to look at it and go, yeah, I missed it, but it would have been a two minute minor. So now you're getting a penalty for delay a game. Right. Whereas if it's like a horse collar tackle and a guy's getting thrown head first onto the ice, like, yeah, we probably don't want that. It's, it's something, it's something that you're probably going to call a five in game for. Right. Okay. So, penalty, so five, speaking of five in a game, Eric Goodbranson got five in a game for what he did to Nick Cousins, and yep. they play April 11th. Yep. I would have to imagine that the league is going to look at that schedule and put their most experienced officials on that game. But leading into a game like that, I think of like Toronto, Boston have had some uh, heated kind of matches. Uh, sure. The California teams have had some very heated matches. You are somebody who officiated a lot of those types of games what are the meetings that happen we hear them talked about in the media what are the meetings that happen when colin campbell or stephen walkham go to the teams before the games and and say whatever they say but what do they say to the teams what do they say to officials and then what is your rapport like with the coaches going into that game knowing we're probably going to have some fireworks here. How does that differ from just a regular Tuesday game? Well, it's 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 funny. There's there's a real fine balance there. And honestly, I'm I'm not really privy to what they say to the teams, um, okay. because because hockey ops, sorry, hockey ops deals with the teams, and then Stephen Walkham deals with the referees, for the okay. most part. I mean, for for okay. the most part, there's there's a you know there's a division of responsibilities there. Um, if you're a good official, you know what's going on. You know you don't need to be talked to really. Um, yeah. You follow the game. You know what what could what could happen. The last thing you want to do, and we've all seen slop shot, is the referee. <laughs> yep. The referee during the anthem goes skating up to the player and he starts you know fingering his yeah. chest, telling him you know you're not going to get away with this tonight. That's the worst thing you could do as a referee. Yeah. Um, you don't want to insert yourself into a game that doesn't need you to insert yourself into. So right. you want to be prepared. You want to talk, all four officials, linesmen as well. You want to be mm -hmm. prepared before the game. You want to look at the lineup sheet and you want to go down. You want to talk personnel. I mean, did they just call somebody up? Is there somebody from the minors who, who's known to be a fighter? It is, but you don't want to prejudge the game. You want to have your antenna up and you want to be hyper aware. But you also right. want to tell each other, don't overreact. That's the worst thing you could do. Because what if these teams heed the warning? What if their coaches tell them, guys, let's play hockey. Games are too important. We're all fighting for a playoff spot. Right. And you go out and you go out there and call three or four soft roughing minors in the first five minutes. Teams bury power play goals. And guess what? Now you've frustrated both teams. It's gonna so, get worse. Exactly. You know, you call three or four soft penalties on one team and they get buried three goals. Now they get nothing to lose. <laughs> you've caused yeah. the frustration. You've caused the frustration as a referee when it didn't, you didn't need to insert yourself in that game. So what you do is you just got to be hyper aware. You got to know the personnel. You got to say, okay, so-and-so is on the ice. Um, if Cousins and Gabranson are on the ice together, you've got to be aware of that. You got to watch, yeah. But you can't make up penalties. You have to, <laughs> let, you have to let the events play out. And then you penalize what you see. You just don't want to miss something. Right. And so, you know, in a situation, yeah, like if you know, in a situation, if Dave Jackson is refing the April 11th game and all of a sudden we see, we've got a face off and those two are on the ice together, your antenna goes up and you, 
you go, okay, I'm already hyper aware, but this is, is there an opportunity there? Like if you see them kind of yapping at each other, is there an opportunity for you to kind of say, Hey, settle down? Like, how do you handle that? Because we had staged fighting, I want to say like a decade ago. And that's really, I think the league's done a great job of kind of eliminating that. But as an official on the ice, you know what you're dealing with going into the game. You see these guys yapping at each other on the draw. Do you manage that? And if you do, how do you manage that? Well, much like I talked earlier about the scrums. uh, Yeah. First whistle. Let's say first whistle, there's a scrum. It's pushing and shoving. That happens. Now, in a regular hockey game, you might allow four or five scrums before you do anything about it. In this case, probably after the first scrum, right away, you go to both benches, go listen. Not having it tonight. Not yep. having it tonight. And then the next scrum happens, well, I'm boom right away. You're getting twos or tens immediately because you've warned okay. them. You've warned them. But you don't want to necessarily bang them on the first scrum because then they kind of look at you and go like, hey, we're just, we're just playing hockey here. So you put them on notice that, hey, we're not going to have it tonight. But once again, you don't want to overreact. So you see guys jawing at each other. You might go over and say, hey, settle down. Like, yeah. Get him, get him during the play. Hit him cleanly. Just like, like play the game here. Don't hurt your own team. Like it's sometimes, sometimes you got to be a psychologist out there. Yeah. You're like, hey, I know you want a piece of the guy, but you're going to hurt your team. So, so don't do it. And it's, sometimes that's, that, that's all it takes. And then other times when, certainly not in that case, because neither of them are, 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 are fighters per se. But right. there's, ga- there's games where, you know, two teams will load up with like nuclear elements and everybody's yeah. going, oh, wow, we can't wait for these two to drop. And then, you know, everybody knows they're going to go, you know, in the warm up, they're, they're patrolling the red line, looking at each other. And yeah. <laughs> and then you go like a period and a half with nothing but scrums and shoving and you're almost in your head, you're going, just fight and get it over with. Yeah. But there's but nothing can you, you can do. Can you two fight, please? Like, my goodness, let's right. go. And there's nothing you can do as an official. You, you certainly don't want to promote fighting. No. But when the, when the fight inevitably happens and if it's a good fight, and they, you know, they all get their punch and get their frustration. A lot of times the game will just settle right down. Exactly. Like, you know, now the, the, the anticipation has come and gone. It happened. Let's just play hockey now. So. Right. Okay. You know, so. Yeah. That's the game. exactly. All right. So we talk about you, you're talking to players. What's an interaction you either had with a player or a coach that you kind of look back on and, and, and it makes you laugh. Like, you're just like, I can't even believe that this was my reaction. Cause I feel like, I mean, Wes McCauley is kind of a, a social media sensation because he's hilarious. Um, but what's something where like, who's a player that you had good interactions with that you just kind of look back on? You're like, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Uh, well, I had a lot that I probably can't tell. Uh, in a no, no, no. Family, Not, yeah. family forum. Um, there's probably two that that that, that make me laugh. Uh, in early 2000s, uh, Pittsburgh was playing uh, Philadelphia in a really heated game, Ooh. right before the playoffs, and they were going to play each other in the first round. And it was in the old igloo, and I was working with Paul yeah. Dvorsky, and uh, you know, we it, it was a it was a man's game. There was we had fights, we had a lot of penalties, and they were just going at each other every whistle nonstop. And at this point in my career, I was wearing uh, an iTech helmet. Ah. I was wearing, you know, we don't get, um, we don't get paid by manufacturers stuff to wear stuff, but my buddy Robin Burns owned iTech and, uh, he said, I got this new helmet. Would, would you wear it? And I said, yeah, I'll try it. So I'm wearing his iTech helmet. Like, a couple of guys making fun of me for wearing a helmet and all that. They go, oh, you, it's a bad looking helmet and all that. 
So at one point, as the players were crossing, and I believe one of the guys had just been called up from the minors, and there's a player yelling at him about how much money he makes, how much money you make or whatever. And so the guy turns around and yells back how much money he makes. <laughs> and it was, it was a low number compared to NHL standards. And I'm standing there just trying to do it, you know, directing traffic and all that. And yeah. he's quiet. And, and I turned and looked at the guy and out loud, I repeated, <laughs> I go, you make how much? I go, I make more than that for wearing this iTech helmet. <laughs> and both benches started laughing Mike Stothers was assistant coach Stots. he comes back we, we walk he goes he goes that's the best line I ever heard he goes uh, he just everybody just was incredulous and then I had a couple of guys come ask me later to go do you really get paid that much for an iTech because <laughs> they were considering going where I said no I don't get paid anything but you know so that's, that's, one, that's one of them but it just kind of like it just kind of players were like you know, the eyes are open and going, really? Like, wow. But uh, I think probably one of the funniest ones, and I've told it before, so, you know, probably some of your listeners will have heard this story, but it's it's a good one, I think. Um, I was born and raised in Montreal. Um, I speak French. I'm, I'm bilingual. And I worked in the, in the queue before I was with the NHL. Right. And pretty much I, I spoke only French in the queue. Uh, my accent's terrible and, you know, my uh, grammatically, I'm not that correct, but I can certainly converse in French with without issue. And um, my first time seeing Halifax, it was at Hal- yeah, I believe it was Halifax in the American Hockey League. They were playing in Moncton. It was my first year in the American League. And they had a young French player on their team that I just refereed in the queue the year before. And uh, we, we'd had our battles and, and all that. So I called a penalty on him late in the game and they were getting smoked. Like they were losing eight to one and they were frustrated. Oof. So I call a penalty on him and he says something to me in French and uh, I give him an extra two for unsportsmanlike conduct. And he goes in the penalty box, he throws his stick, he throws his gloves and he yells something else at me. So I th- end up throwing him out of the game. Hey. So Claude Julien, the, the, the coach, was happened to be the captain of Fredericton at the time. And oh. I'd never spoken to Claude Julien in my life. And this is my first time doing Halifax. He comes, he comes beelining from the bench. He comes across and he's pointing at me. And uh, Claude's a great guy. And Claude yeah, goes, he's, Claude I've heard goes, nothing but amazing things about him. Claude's, Claude's just, he's a prince. He's a great guy. Some, some team's going to be really lucky when he steps behind their bench in the next few years. Yeah. So he goes up one side of me and down the other. He goes, Davey, he goes, you're having a tough game tonight. You're having a tough game, but I've left you alone. I haven't been on you. He goes, I know people have been on you, but I'm just letting you, I'm letting you do your job. He goes, but I got to put my foot down now. He goes, you have no business throwing that guy out of the game. He doesn't speak a word of English, not one word of English. I know because I'm his roommate and you threw him out of the game because of what you think he said to you. And that's not fair. So I crossed my arms and I looked at him and my best, in my best French, I told him, Claude, I'm from Montreal and I'm completely bilingual. And I said that in French he paused for a sec and he tapped me in the shin He's pad. Like, he goes, well, that's a hell of a call, Davey. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So, that's incredible. Yeah. So that and I bet you, I bet that. you when you officiated games that like Claude was behind the bench for you, like that's kind of probably in the back of both of your minds. You're like, yeah, we've had a good, like you got a good rapport there. Cause you can, you know, you get a laugh out of each other. Like there's a mutual yeah. respect there. Well, it's, it's funny because when he was hired by the Montreal Canadians, he was called up mid season. They fired their coach and called him up. Right. And I believe his first game was in Tampa. And I happened to be doing that game. And we were in, um, 
night before the game, we were having dinner in Champions in the hotel, and he came in with a couple of assistant coaches and I shook his hand, congratulated him. That's one of the stories we talked about uh, that, uh, you know, it's... what happened. So, I mean, hockey is a pretty good community. People, people always think the players and coaches like hate the referees, and I Not think true. for the most part, it, it, it's pretty good. Um, pretty good camaraderie and pretty good discourse goes on and they respect us. I mean, we have a job to do and I think you have to respect them. You just, you can't, you can't abuse your authority. You have to understand there's emotion in the game and try and temper that emotion. I think that's kind of your job. I think it's to, instead of when things get, teams get heated, instead of cranking the heat up and using your authority, I think sometimes maybe it's your job to try and bring that heat down. Perfect. Well, Dave, I mean, I can't thank you enough for joining me on the show and just providing incredible insight into uh, into the kind of the other side of the game, which is, I mean, everybody talks about playing, we analyze players, but talking about officiating and like its impact on the game and kind of how you handle different situations, like just can't thank you enough. And uh, I really love Dave's work on ESPN. So if you are trying to learn about the game, we have listeners that, that are kind of new to the game. So um, Dave's a great guy. Um, when, when it comes to explaining rules. And so um, just really appreciate you uh, taking the time, Dave. Well, thank you. And if any of your listeners have rule questions, just hit me up on Twitter, ESPN Ref NHL or, or Dave Jackson. You can find me and I'd be happy to answer their questions. Perfect. Yeah, follow Dave on Twitter. He does, uh, he explains a lot of great stuff and uh, we'll be back next week.